Hi, everybody. This is Ben Kitchens of the History Voyager. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very, very much for listening to mine. I'm here with Parker James, and we are going to have a fascinating conversation. I am almost certain. Parker, why don't you tell us a bit about your uh, your life and, and a little bit about why I wanted to talk to you? Yeah, so um, yeah, I'm Parker James, uh, shamelessly plugging myself real quick. I run the uh, Modern Proposal podcast, which we can talk about later. But um, yeah, I'm from Denver, Colorado. And uh, when I turned 18, I decided to travel the world by myself. Wow. That's kind of cool. Um, you know, a huge amount of the American people don't have a passport, so they don't really have any idea... I guess what it's like to to be in other countries. And I myself have only ever been to one other country, which was Canada, and it was on vacation. So why don't you give us a rundown of the countries you've been to? Yeah, already. So I started um, – I actually didn't even go to my high school graduation because the plane ticket was $100 cheaper to leave before. So I just got my diploma, and then I left and went to Costa Rica, then Nicaragua then Panama, then Colombia, then I went to Canada, and then I went back to Colombia, then I went over to Australia, then I went to Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, the Philippines, New Zealand, uh, then I went to France, Netherlands, Germany, Czechoslovakia, uh, and now I'm you know back here in the U.S. How long altogether were you overseas, and did you ever... Uh, intersperse any American trips in with that? Um, I was gone for two and a half years. Uh, I came back once after my first year for uh, about two weeks. Um, and then I was gone for another 18 months. What all did you do uh, in that time? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> do you want like... Like like what like what I did in each country, or just like a general overview. You know, uh, let's. Why don't we start with a general overview, and then we can go into different countries if if we want. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm a pretty open book. Like, I'm more than happy to share ninety five percent of my stories. Um, <laughs> I, man, I just I did everything. I learned Spanish. I. Uh, surfed, I climbed, I did a bunch of hiking, I learned, uh, rode a bunch of motorcycles across Vietnam, I worked a whole bunch, I partied, I, you know, met hundreds and hundreds of people, um, I learned what it's like to be awake for, for 55 hours due to a very dumb flight path, um, not fun, is what I can report. Okay, I'm, <laughs> we're gonna drill into that for yeah. sure, but, uh, <laughs> okay yeah man i just so, you know try to do everything so is it okay okay and I, I i understand like this is a way to tell somebody to tell people how old they are but if you if you're comfortable with that uh what year did you start um 2017 uh and then i came back uh halfway to 2019 uh, i'm uh, i'm 22 years old i have no problem sharing how old i am okay all right. Um, okay, so you came back uh, 2017. You left 2017, came back 2019. Um, 
So first of all, I guess that fifty-five hour flight was the first one, or no? Um, okay. Yeah, no. This came um, after right under seven months of being in Central and South America. I was broke as could be because you know you let an eighteen-year-old who's been you know with rules and structure and all this loose. Uh, in Central America where I found myself in a very interesting paradox because it is a lot like things are just a lot cheaper down there. So you don't really keep like track of how much money you're spending. So you actually end up spending way more money than you think. So yeah, after close to seven months, I was like, Oh, I have no money left. Um, and so I had met an Australian in Panama and we just became really good friends. And I'm like, Hey, I know you don't really know me that well, but uh, I'm going to ask you a big favor. Can you buy me a ticket over to Australia? Because I had found out about a work visa over there called the work and holiday visa um, that allows you to still live in Australia for a year as an American. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, it just allows you to live over there for a year. No question. Like obviously some co- some questions asked, but uh, yeah, I only need like uh, applications, like a couple hundred bucks. Um, and so managed to spend the rest of my money on that. And then she was willing to buy me a, you know, a plane ticket over to Australia so I could get set up over there and start working and start making money again. And yeah, it's one of the dumbest flight paths I've ever flown ever. Do you want to hear it? Oh, sure. Sure. All right. So I was from Bogota, Colombia, then to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Then to Chicago with an overnight stay in Chicago, and I had no money, so I slept in the airport. Um, then it was uh, another flight to Shanghai, and it was a four, maybe it was four to five hour layover in Shanghai, and then in another twelve hour flight down to Melbourne, Australia. Wow. Yeah, it's not fun. Don't um, that's my that's my word of wisdom to anyone trying to travel. Don't do that. That's that's a bad that's a bad way to go. Now, did you did you already have a job while you were or a line on a job when you got to Australia, or did you have to pound the pavement, or what did you have to do? Uh, I had to, I had to use your words. I had to pound the pavement. Um, I mean, like I grew up um, like working since I was fifteen, because when I turned fifteen, that's the legal age to work in Colorado. And my mom was like, "Hey, like you want money, you got to work for it." And so I went to a restaurant and was like, "Hey, I like to, I'd like, I like, I like to cook. Will you teach me how to?" Like, teach you how to how to cook and become a chef, and the chef of the, this restaurant was like, "Sure." And so, because of that, I was just able to kind of find jobs wherever. Like, just I could just have a resume and walk in. And Australia does a really cool thing, which I think we should do more of here, which is like a trial shift where like they'll talk to you maybe for like ten minutes or so, and if they like you, they'll be like, "Hey, can we go? Can you have you in later today or tomorrow, whenever?" And we'll do like a two, three hour trial shift, and they just kind of see like if you you actually know your stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, and, that does sound kind of cool. I mean, that does sound kind of cool. So, okay. I've heard that Australia is really weird because on the one hand it's they speak English over there. So like Americans can really get along. But on the other hand it's it's um like there's a lot of deadly animals over there and you have like what was it the guy was telling me like um it's this weird thing where it's a really big place but it's really small. Like yeah, big landmass, but it's really small. People. Yeah, so I mean, like, there's only like um, I could be getting my numbers wrong, but it's like somewhere between like ten and twelve, like 
full-on cities like in the entire country and their popul- their permanent resident population is only 20 million people. Like the entire country of Australia could fit into LA. Wow. Yeah, but like the land mass is roughly the same size of uh, the US. It's like, I think it's like 0.9, like on a one-to-one scale. Australia is the 0.9 and most of it is just an in, uh, inhabitable desert. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And like, I remember talking to one dude that, um, he worked as a miner, uh, out in Western Australia, like way out there doing, um, like magnet mining, like other things you need to like make smartphones. And he had to take a plane to go to work. Whoa. Yeah. 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 It was like an hour long plane ride to go to work every day. That is in. That's just incredible. I mean, the closest thing I can come to that is like I know somebody that has to, you know, they have to commute to work via via a plane. But like with that job, it's it's totally understandable. Like the job my friend has, but Jesus, like wow. Yeah, it's pretty um, cool. Um, to answer your whole uh, to, uh, better answer the question, about, like is like about the deadly animals. That is true. There are a lot of deadly animals there, but depending on where you're living, you're not really going to see a lot of them. Um, I mean, like I was there for right right under nine months. Um, I took like time off in between my like visa, like go other places. But the deadly deadliest animal I ever saw was a red back spider, uh, up in Queensland, which is similar to like a black widow. And Queensland is like the Florida of Australia. Okay. Yeah. Like not so much geographically, just like climate and culture wise. Um, fun place. Wouldn't spend a ton of time there in my personal opinion. Uh, I spent most of my time down in Melbourne, which is similar to like San Fran, but different. Does that make sense? How is it similar and different, San Francisco and Melbourne? Um, one, a little bit of the climate. It is super um, – it's kind of cloudy, kind of rainy. I mean, obviously, it gets tons of sun. It's still Australia. But it's also like the center of art, center of culture. Um, it be, it's a lot more – depending on where you are in the city, uh, it has a lot, has like a lot bigger like bohemian scene and just uh, – it's just a lot more progressive than most of the cities I went to. Okay, okay. Now the capital of Australia is uh, Sydney. Is that right? No, it's actually um, Canberra, which is really dumb why it exists because it's just a town in the middle of the desert. It's like if Las Vegas was just the suburb and had like a and had like a, a government like parliament building in it. And the reason that it exists is because in early on in Australia's uh, like founding of a country. Uh, Melbourne and Sydney kept were like were arguing on like oh we should be capital no we should be capital no we should be capital and so instead of just picking one of them or putting it to a vote that has built a town exact like perfectly in between the two in the middle of the oh. desert. <laughs> okay, okay. So it's a really small town, in other words. I mean, it's still decently big. I mean, like it's well, I mean, like it's small in comparison to any city in the U.S., but I think it still has like a million people in it. That's that's you know I mean it's a capital that's big yeah for the for the capital yeah and of a place where twenty million people are okay okay yeah and like this I think is really funny because I notice this a lot 
Um, a good, I'm not, this is obviously a very generalized statement, but like a lot of the Australians that I met in Australia, they, they often didn't know who the prime minister was because of like how little their government actually does, which I just thought was hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's even funnier because they have a law there that says once you register to vote, you have to vote every single year or you have to pay a fine. Like if you, like you don't have the option to not vote. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, wow. What do you think about that? Not, not voting versus voting. Um, I mean, you know, legally you, yeah. you're required to show up to vote. What do you think of that? I think it's, I think it's dumb. I don't think that's fair because it's like, if, if you don't like any of the candidates, why are you forced to pick one that you don't like? Like you should have that right just to not vote, like not vote if you don't want to. And because of that, like I met a lot of people who just never registered to vote because they didn't like that either. Like they're like, why do I have to pay a hundred dollars if I just don't want to vote for, for any of these jerks, you know? Okay. I mean, I've never heard that take before, but sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and like, this I think is a good explanation of like how of just like a little bit of their culture down there um, and why so many of them are just like, I want nothing to do with the government. Like, you know, screw them. Um, I was there legally on a work visa and I worked one job like over the table. All the other jobs I worked were paid in cash under the table once a week. Okay. Yeah. And because, and because next to nobody actually pays their taxes everything else is now like super expensive. So it's kind of like, it kind of goes full circle where it's like a six pack of beer is like $25, but you also get paid $21 an hour. That's still, I mean, that's like an hour's work for a six pack of beer. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean like out in here in Colorado, it's about the same. Like, you know, we get paid depending on what job you're working, like 12 to 14 bucks and like a decent six pack is like, you know, 10 to $12. Yeah, but $25 for a six-pack is pretty um Oh, it's definitely it's definitely yeah. steep. I'm definitely not going to not definitely not not saying that. Um That's but I guess it was yeah. just like it was just weird to have like a, you know, like you get paid once a week down there. And I would just get like an envelope just full of fi- like $50 bills that was $1,200 for the week. I'm like, wait, what? But, and then I'm like, wait, how do I have a hundred dollars left? And I'm like, Oh, that's right. Cause everything costs a trillion dollars here. So, okay. What about, um, so you said you went to Vietnam. Yes. I spent a lot of time in Vietnam. It's one of my favorite countries on the planet. Okay. What was that like Vietnam? Did massive, massive culture shock. I was pretty shocked to be there. Um, okay. and just like, so like on the flip side, that's also one of the cheapest places on the planet. <laughs> that was, that was very nice to go into because I just finished up, um, before I went to Vietnam, I had done about three months of work in Sydney, Australia, and I was working at a hostel to get like, uh, like a, like free, um, free room and board. Then I was also working at a restaurant as a server that was paying me like 25 bucks an hour. So I was like, not, I was not paying rent, barely paying for any food. I wasn't really going out or drinking that much. So I decided like all this money. And then I just went to Vietnam where my rent was a hundred dollars a month. Wow. Yeah. And I, I lived in a really, really nice neighborhood too. Like it was, um, cause I lived in Hanoi mainly and 
I lived on a lake called um, Calhote, which just means like Lake Tay. And it was one of the nicest apartments and houses I've ever lived in ever. I paid $100 a month. We had a, in essence, private police force because um, the police, I mean, it's it's a Southeast Asian country. They were fairly corrupt. Um, and yeah, you just paid like, you. I think you paid like $10 a week and you could, and you'd have... For my neighborhood, we have we had five police officers, all with AK forty sevens. They would just they would just ride around on fifty cc scooters. That was kind of funny to me. Wow. Yeah. So, like, the understanding was it was like a it was like a protection racket, except they yeah. were really protecting you. Yeah, and I were mean, they really protecting you, or was it uh, more or less? It was more protecting other, like, because like I'll. A lot of um, a lot of white people lived in this neighborhood, and like a lot of the things that we're used to are kind of kind of illegal in Vietnam, namely working without a like working without a permit. Um, and so it was more of like you pay us so we don't arrest you, and then we might provide you with some protection. I mean, not that we I've really had like I never felt unsafe in Vietnam once because this I thought was really interesting. Um, when I was there, they only had a 1.3% unemployment rate. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I ne- almost never saw I think, I think I saw three homeless people in the entire time that I spent in B- like in Hanoi. And now granted, obviously I didn't see all of it. I didn't see all the problems. This is a very one-sided anecdotal evidence, but yeah, I almost never saw that. I never saw anybody that was like, like that was not working. I didn't really see any beggars. Everyone seemed to be maybe not the best fed, but everyone seemed to be fed. The markets always had food in it. Like there was always, um, like there wasn't. It didn't seem like a lot of people were, you know, like super, starving. super struggling. Yeah, or like starving or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. Well, that could have just been Hanoi. I mean, did you go out in the countryside? Or- oh yeah. Yeah. Actually, have um. What's, I re- that, what's that like? So. I have a very interesting story to tell. Um, so as a preface, I I love motorcycles. I own one. I ride as much as I can. Um, and then when I was there, I bought a bike in Hanoi, and then I drove it all the way south down to Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City, uh, sold it there, and then I did that again. <laughs> I did it twice because uh, how much fun it was. And this story comes from a place in between Vinh Binh and Hue, which is if anybody, people who don't know, that's like North middle of the country in Vietnam, like the central highlands, which is super rural. Like, like they spoke a dialect of Vietnamese that I like, cause like I learned, um, like I learned some pretty standardized Vietnamese, you know, like, uh, just survival stuff, like how to order food, ask where the bathroom is, ask for a mechanic, ask for gasoline, like those kinds of things. Um, and they didn't know what we were saying because of how rural and how like the way that the dialects worked. And so we're riding down the road and we are probably like mm, about eight, 10 miles away from our overnight stop. And then my friend who was with me, his clutch cable broke. So he couldn't even, so he couldn't, he couldn't change gears on his bike. He couldn't even get started. He couldn't put it in neutral. Like it was, it was really bad. And so we, we pull over and then some random guy that's just ro- coming down the road has like coils and coils of copper wiring. Cause like we didn't have any rope at the time. So I couldn't tow him and we just managed to buy some off of him. And then I told him into the next town that we find. When we get to this town, it looks like a ghost town. There is all these empty buildings. There's, you know, like busted out windows. Everything's really faded. There's trash everywhere. It's kind of dirty. I'm um, like, 
you know, crap, like, all right, I guess let's just keep going. Maybe we'll find a different town. And then, and then we hear these two uh, older women like laughing, like they heard the funniest joke in the world. And we turn around, then we see them and they're pointing at us saying something and then laughing, you know, la- just laughing their asses off. I'm like, okay, whatever. And so uh, the word for mechanic um, in Vietnamese, at least a way to say it is Z-mei. And so we went up to them and we're like, oh, Z-mei, Z-mei. And then like we pointed, pointed at my friend's bike. I'm like, Z-mei, Z-mei. And they're just, they just, they didn't start laughing hard. Like they're in tears. They're laughing so hard. I'm like, okay, what? Okay, whatever. Like, let's just not, let's find somebody else. And so we go to somebody else in the town that, because everyone just starts coming out the woodwork when they, when they see us. I, and these other people, we say, Zime, Zime. They start laughing as well. And like every single person just starts laughing at us. And we're like, okay, this, this, we just need to leave. Like clearly we're not welcome here or we don't know what's going on. We're not sure. We're not going to get his bike fixed here. Let's just keep moving. And then um, I had run out of water. We had no, we had no food. Um, um, and so I went into one of the shops and I tried to get a bottle of water. And so I pick up the water, I put it down. And then this lady just laughs at me again. I'm like, okay, whatever, then fine. And so I pull out money and then she and starts laughing even harder and just says closed, closed, closed. Like she wouldn't sell to me. Um, and so I, in turn, just wa- just tried to walk out and take it because I'm like, I'm out of water. I don't know how far the next uh, town is going to be. I'm just going to take it then. Like I'm, ha- I-, I have money. I'm offering it to you. You don't want to take my money. Then I'm going to take your water. Fine. Um, and then, then she takes my money and just doesn't give my change and just shoes me out. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like I'll overpay for a bottle of water. Let's just get out of here. And, um, and meanwhile, my friend is just basically begging people to like fix his bike and just show him where the mechanic is and everyone's just laughing his ass uh their asses off at him so like i walk out i'm like hey dude like let's just move on and he's like no like i want to try to go find food first because like we don't know how long uh, this ride is going to be riding for four hours i'm like all right whatever so we go to this shop uh it's a local pho shop and there's people inside fires are going food's getting served you know like it's clearly open and we go to walk inside and then the owner comes up to us and she just puts her hand on my chest and is like, no, closed. I'm like, what? And she's like, no, closed. You two, closed. Closed for you. I'm like, okay, so don't know, whatever. And so we go, we turn around, go back to our bikes. And then like a 10-year-old kid shows up and he and he laughs at us for like a second. And then he looks at his bike, he looks at my friend's bike and goes, Z-May? And we're like, yes, Z-May, please, Z-May, Z-May. And so... We're banking on the fact that this 10-year-old child is going to, like, take us to a mechanic, and we have no idea. No one in the town seems to like us, or they're laughing at us, so we're already kind of on edge. And so he takes us back to, like, his house. I'm like, okay, this is this is getting sketched. Like, maybe let's just get out of here. And then his and then the, the little boy runs inside, gets his dad. The dad, like, looks at us, laughs for a second, and then goes, oh, Z May, like, like you need one? And we're like, yes. And so he like looks at the bike. He's like, okay, okay. Yeah, no worries. You know, like kind of like, I don't know what he was saying. That's at least what I assumed that he was saying. And then, yeah, in 10 minutes he fixed it and he didn't ask for any money or, or anything. He just wanted a cigarette from us. Okay. Why was the town, uh, why were they so unhelpful, un- unresponsive, whatever? That's a great question. I did ask um, when we got to Huey. I, I told the story to uh, the the hostel we were staying at to one of the managers who spoke like decent English, and I got a couple of different answers. Um, it could have been one because we were white, 
um, they don't, and the, the more, like when you get into really, really rural Vietnam and they see white people and they, if they think that you're American, they don't like you and they really don't like you, which is fair. I get it. Um, the Vietnam war and all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah especially when I saw like some of like the older people without legs. So that definitely kind of was like, Oh shit, we did that. Um, or they thought that we were, or they thought that we were gay. One of the two. That was the best answer I ever got. Okay. But why were they laughing? That's what, I, I mean, I, I ask myself that question every whenever I think about this, everything about this time, or think about this story. I'm like, wait, why? Are we, yeah. like, what, like, what was so funny? I think it was maybe it was like they had seen like other um, travelers and white people like break down close to their town or something maybe they thought that they that we were gay or maybe they thought it was just funny that white people would even be here in the first place. I, I don't know. Or yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe they just didn't want to help us. All right. Yeah. Now, in, in Hanoi, was Hanoi more um, hospitable or? Yeah, no, Hanoi was, Hanoi was amazing. Um, I, I taught English out there. Um, and, you know, I mean, Hanoi is a city of 9 million people. Okay. Excuse me. Um, so yeah, like I, I met like a bunch, a bunch of college students. I met like people of all different kinds. Yeah. Like, I mean, they, the Hanoi is very used to seeing white people and, uh, used to seeing travelers. So like they're, that's just, you know, kind of whatever for them. I'm like, they'll happily take our money. So like, yeah, they were super, they were super hospitable. They were super nice. Not obviously not everybody. It's still a city of 9 million people, but on a whole note, like, yeah, I had a much easier time living in Hanoi than I did on, on, on my uh, road trip. Yeah. So, um, so what took you out of Vietnam? Um, visas and, uh, an ex-girlfriend. Okay. Let me, okay. Before we leave Vietnam or before we leave talking about it, uh, did you have to, um, was there a communist minder or did you have to get with some local authorities and why are you here or anything like that or what? Um, no. Uh, so no, they, um, actually it's, it's funny you bring that up. Cause I, uh, in one of my episodes actually <laughs> I told the story as well. Um, so what you need, what you need to do is if you're an American, you, uh, contact either the embassy or a company, and then you ask them for uh, a visa one or three months, you send them all your paperwork. Uh, so like just a really, really short application of just like, why you want to come to Vietnam? What's your name, birthday, you know, passport, all that jazz. Uh, pay them like thir- twenty or thirty dollars, and then in about a week or so, you usually get a letter that's like, yes, like yes, the embassy accepts um, your pre-approval letter. Once you get it to Vietnam, however you're getting here, uh, you just go to the uh, border officials, and then they put a visa in your passport. Um, and uh, yeah, I did. I was not questioned really much at all for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I the first time I went to the went to vietnam because i went twice i partied way too hard in thailand like in bangkok because like that's where i flew because like that's where i flew into to go to vietnam was flying to bangkok first i partied way too hard and i ended up like i had a i think i had a 5 a.m flight so my i was like oh well let's go out in the town and stay and then just stay up till my flight because that's a genius idea uh ended up still being 
quite drunk in both airports. And so when I got to, uh, when I got to Vietnam, um, I'm a forward thinker. Uh, when I got to Vietnam, you're supposed to have multiple passport photos like ready to go. And I didn't know that because I didn't say in my pre-approval letter. I had my pre-approval, I had my pre-approval letter, letter and I had uh, my passport obviously valid for way longer than six months. And so I give them all the paperwork and then the guy's like, oh, do you have your extra photos? I'm like, hmm, photos. Yes, I do. And then like, I'm like looking through my bag acting like, oh, I'm, I must have lost them or something like that. And he, he just stops me and he's like, sir, it's $20 for an extra photo. I'm like, oh, okay. So you, you don't, you just want, you just want money out of this. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah, I just, I get, I gave the border official $20. He put the visa uh, in my passport, stamped it and off I went. Off you went. So everything was kind of a, kind of a racket basically. Oh yeah, exactly. Because I mean, it's, they are, you know, they are still the, they are still the, the, the socialist Republic of Vietnam, but they do a lot of business with America and their government is, you know, considered communist, but they're not really, I mean, like they're communist in the way that they provide a lot of social safety, not safety nets for their citizens, not so much in like monetary, but like food, housing, healthcare, those kinds of things. But most of it's still a racket because yeah, like the amount of times that I was rather drunk on the streets in Vietnam because they sell beer there for 10 cents. Um, and the cops were like, Oh, public intoxication, $5. I'm like, ah, I already got that ready. Like I already know how this works. Um, and I mean, it's like that, like all over Vietnam or not so much in, not so much in Saigon or Ho Chi Minh city, but yeah, most, most of their government is just like, we don't really care what you do. You just got to pay us. Hmm. Yeah. And like hmm. to, to better support that, I met an English teacher out there that he was, he was supposed to be like a, like an English professor in, uh, in one of the universities in Hanoi and he what happened to him? He, oh yeah, so he was going to, um, first day of teaching, immigration comes and arrests him and his teacher assistant who was, uh, they they're both British. And what had happened was he was supposed to get like a certain visa to be allowed to stay in Vietnam for five years at a time and like be allowed to teach there and teach for the government. But someone messed up their bribe because the fine was $5,000 US equivalent, but someone didn't pay the right person at the right time. So that's all that needed to happen. So like he was able to get his visa because he just paid the right uh, and like right person five thousand dollars. That's all he was willing to share with me. Well, that's in essence what happened. Wow. Huh. So that's it's pretty uh, pretty naked, I guess, as far as. Um, but you said it was your favorite country. Why is it your favorite country? Um. Well, it's my favorite, it's, my, it's my favorite country on that side of the world, minus maybe New Zealand, um, because it was just so, I guess it was just so different from like what I was used to like living in. Cause it's like, there's not a ton of like, I mean, there are obviously there's a lot, like there are rules, there's laws there, but you don't, they're not as heavily enforced. It's a lot easier to make money. It's, you can live a lot, lot, lot richer over there as a white person teaching English. than I have ever you know lived in the U S I never felt unsafe. Um, again, like there were cops with AK 47s that like, that like patrolled my neighborhood. I never felt unsafe. I was like, man, I'm, I'm fine. Um, and I don't know. It was just like, just such, I just, I, I'd known such great people there. I've made such good friends. I just had like interacted with their culture in just such an interesting way. Um, 
it has and like it has pretty much like everything you could ever want like it at least in my opinion it has amazing food amazing nightlife super cool and ancient culture um they their language you could like it's not like thailand or in um cambodia where it's like they have a different like uh care like they have a different alphabet for their language so like you can start learning vietnamese right away um not saying that it's an easy language to learn but it's easier um and it just had like i don't know it just it, it had like that certain kind of spice to it if that makes any sense but it's like maybe just fall in love with it mm-hmm. now you said the other country that was your favorite country on that end of the world was new zealand um somebody else many moons ago in my podcast told me that as well why is new zealand your favorite country on that end of the world um mm, it's a really good question it just so like New Zealand has a similar um, kind of work visa for Americans as Australia does, where you can just go live and work there for a year. I didn't end up spending a year there. Cause like, it was like, by the time I got there, I had, uh, I'd broken up with a pretty serious girlfriend. It didn't end very well. Um, I was broke again. I rocked up at like, um, like in the end of fall towards winter, I've been on the road forever. So I was like, I kind of just want to go somewhere and just kind of like figure out what I want to do next um and it was just it just has like a it's it's the same reason why i love vietnam so much like it had just like a certain kind of like certain kind of spice to it like one the culture is just really really fun no one takes anything seriously like just ba- yeah like no one it's like basically no one takes anything seriously there and i just really really enjoyed that like oh it's a really laid back lifestyle really like attitude it has some of the best surfing in the world um I absolutely love their culture. And um, uh, do, do you know who the All Blacks are for New Zealand? Uh, rugby. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had found myself um, with uh, a friend I met down there at the end of our surfing road trip uh, in Auckland. And we were just like, uh, we were just like at this bar after dinner and just, you know, drinking, hanging out. And we saw uh, three, uh, three All Blacks players that just walked in. And uh, me and our friend went up to them and were like, hey, like, um, we'll buy you top shelf shots of whatever you want if you'll do the haka for us right now. Which, for listeners that don't know, the haka is the Maori, like, it's a form of the Maori war dance that, like, the All Blacks like to do before they play every rugby game, which is amazing to see live. And it's even more amazing when you get three massive people, like, they were all, like, they're all 6'5 and 280, you know, like, and above quiet down the an entire bar like a busy bar with music playing and people everywhere and this that and whatever everyone went dead silent silent when these guys decided to do the haka right in front of the bar for just for like i think it was like a shot of like don julio 42 it was 80 dollars, but well worth it um and it's like like that kind of thing where it's like you can just go up to like famous people and just be like as long as you're cool they'll be cool back to you. Now, granted, that's obviously not for everybody, but just in my experience, it's like, I couldn't imagine going up to, um, I don't really know a ton of sports players, but like, I couldn't imagine going up to, um, what's his name? He's, the, he's one of the point guards for the Denver Nuggets. Um, Djokovic, I think is his name. I could imagine going up to him and being like, hey, will you dance for me in this bar? And, and him being like, sure thing. Right. I, I guess the the... That's one of those cultural differences, I guess. 
Um, what about so? Okay, the All Blacks. That's the national rugby team of New Zealand, or yeah, is it a club? Team? Yeah. All, all right. Cool. Yeah. Do they have club rugby too, or is it just? Uh... Um. Yeah, they do. But I mean, like, New Zealand has four has four million people in it, like in the entire nation. Uh-huh. Um, it's really really small. I'm like, they don't. They have club teams and like city teams. Um, but like, and it's it's like. I mean, like they only have like a handful of cities there too. It's like on the North Island, you have I can't, I, don't, I don't remember the team names, but I know they have a team for Auckland, they have a team for Taronga, they have a team for Wellington, they have a team for um, Napier. Uh, they and then like yeah, so they have like like four teams on like the North Island, and I think they have like five teams on the South Island, and that's it. So they put their, um, I guess, their attention into the national team because they're so small. Yeah. And yeah. And it's like, um, and so it's like New Zealand is in like the, like the Australian rugby circuit. Um, but it's mainly like the all blacks who play in that circuit where it'll be like, like, like the, the New Zealand all blacks versus, um, the Melbourne, whatever. I didn't really get super big into rugby when I was over there. I, I just had like, I, I had some friends that were really big into it. And like, Hey, we're going to go see a game. I'm like, I know nothing about rugby, but sure. I'll go see it. Huh. Yeah, it was super, super fun. I, like, if if anybody has not seen a rugby game, learn a little bit of the rules and then watch it because it's it's like it's all like it's just as fun as watching football, but they don't stop. Yeah. All right. So. Okay, so we covered New Zealand, Vietnam, Australia, Latin America. I did. I, one of the reasons I want to talk to you is you have because you've traveled so extensively you have sort of this look on america that other people don't have yeah and um other americans don't have yeah and uh for that we got to go back to latin we got to go back to latin america and go to uh, nicaragua um so there is an island there called um Isla de Omotepe, which is in um, one of the biggest lakes in Nicaragua. It's about 50 miles from Managua, which is like the center of the country. And uh, I went out to this island and I was going to climb this uh, volcano, which is about like almost, what is it? It's in round trip. It's like a 10 mile hike up like, you know, a ridiculously steep volcano. And uh, we got to this part in the trail where... Um, where our guide cause like because like you can't go up there without a guide because it is a little bit dangerous and the guide was like okay hey like you know, like before we go up to like we're about to get to you need to go to the bathroom you need to smoke you need to do anything you need to do now is the time and i'm like wait why like can we not go off trail and he's like no don't go off trail here there are still um there's still landmines and bombs that that are unexploded i'm like what are you talking about he's like oh you're American. Shouldn't you know? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like the civil war that you helped to incite. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, and so I talked, yeah, I talked to him a little bit about it. Uh, it's, it's called a, it's, it's called the banana wars when a bunch of corporations went like in the, from, from the sixties to the nineties, uh, a bunch of corporations went down into central America and just started stealing land for bananas and produce. And uh, then the CIA helped to sell weapons to right-wing militia groups to uh, kill leftist leaders in the country that wanted to stop 
um, like so like socialist policies from giving land and resources back to its people, which is a very complicated subject that we don't have time to get into. But I do suggest that everyone go look at the banana wars because that's what this dude was telling me about. And because like I mean like I had like I had known we done we did, we did some bad things in Central America. But I didn't know it was to this extent. Um, and yeah, it's like we get to the part where it's like okay, everyone do not go off trail here. Like this isn't a joke. This isn't like protect nature. No, like this is if you step in the wrong place, you could be blown up. Um, and so I talked to him a little bit about it. And then I found out that his, like his, like his dad fought in the, uh, civil war in Nicaragua. And yeah, it was a dude that was trained by the CIA that, that basically murdered his dad. And like, he watched it. He was, I think, I think he was like six or seven years old when his dad was killed in his own home. And it's like, we did that thing. Wow. Like, like we did these things. And so it's like, you can't say that we're the best country in the world when we're doing things like this. And when I went, like when I got off the Island, I like, like I did a Managua for like a, for like a day um, just to like see some people off. And cause I was just curious to see it. Like it's supposed to be like, you know, the murder capital of the world. Like I want to go see it. Like how bad is it? Um, the amount of bullet holes I saw in buildings. And when I asked people about it, they're like, Oh yeah, no, that's from the civil war. From that, the, the like, and like they pointed at me and like that you guys helped to incite. I'm like, mm? yeah. oh god, yeah. And then yeah, and then I would see guys like with their, like they're missing legs, they're missing arms, and it's like this is like all these countries I went to. This is it's it's a similar story, and so it's like we are we didn't like learn more about the U like U S history and realize like, yeah, maybe this is why countries don't like this. Like, like this is why places don't really like us that much. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm not, and I'm not here on your podcast. to be like, Oh, America is the worst. America is the bad, the baddest. We have done great things. We've done bad things. It's the same thing with every story, uh, every country on the planet. We all have our own problems, but I think it's important for Americans to realize that one, the world is not as dangerous as people think it is because uh, to jump back to Australia, the only time I ever got mugged was in Australia. Um, why? Why do you think? Because that is true. Yeah. Why do you think Americans think the world is a dangerous place? Um. Obviously, I'm generalizing here. I don't think it's everybody, but I mean, like, uh, one. I think a lot of it is in our media. Um. Because, like, I mean, like, it's like, like, there's memes and jokes that it's like, oh, like like Mexico and U S films and it's all like washed out and like septia and like, it looks like just looks dirty and poor and sad and dangerous. And like, I'm like, Oh, and, and then it's like, Oh, like, I mean, like, and then it's, Oh, you all hear is like all these horror stories of like, Oh, American gets kidnapped in this country or all this country. It's like, Oh, like, you know, you can hear from like, you know, old family members. Cause like when I first went to Columbia, you know, um, I mean, like my mom grew up in the eighties. She, you know, lived through all of the uh, insane news headlines of, of what happened in Colombia, which I don't want to discount uh, the period of violencia. Like it's an awful time, but like it's cleaned up a lot, but like that stigma is still kept there. Where like my mom almost had a heart attack when I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to Colombia. Like she was like, you're going to get kidnapped. You're going to be murdered. You're going to get robbed. Like you're going to get drugged. Like all these crazy things are going to happen to you. And I, that never happened to me. Like, like every single time I've ever lost, I can just go ask some random person. They were more than happy to help me. I never had a problem with police. I never had a problem with any like uh, narcos or gang members. Like none of like all these insane, crazy things that were supposed to happen to you never happened. Everybody is more or less the same person. The only thing that changes is the amount of melanin in your skin, the language that you speak and some cultural differences. Like that's 
kind of what I noticed. Now, there are some dangerous places yeah. in the world, of course, but it's like, it's not as... We have a... The U.S. is not a safe place either. <laughs> what was the... Because, okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've actually... Parker and I have spoken before. Yeah, that's uh, true. That that didn't make podcasts, but you said something that was really interesting in the previous podcast. Now, let me try and see if I can put words in your mouth, um, and you kind of clean it up for me, all right? Yeah, sure thing. You you had said to me, you told me a story. I don't want to. I don't want to accuse the wrong country of being the wrong country, right? Right. But you told me a story, and you said, "Well, this was." This really dangerous place, yada yada yada. But think about it: if you wouldn't go to that place in America, why would you go to that place here? Yeah, yeah, and, I'm, yeah. That's that, that's pronounced exactly what I said. Country, and like, um, I said, was that? I believe I said it was. I, I believe I believe I said it was for Colombia. Um, and like, that was exactly my point. Cause it's like, whenever I got to a place, like a new place I had never been, the first thing I did was, was like, when I got, when I checked into my hostel or hotel or guest house or whatever, I would ask like, Hey, what are neighborhoods I should avoid? And they're like, Oh, just don't go to this, this neighborhood. I'm like, okay, why? And they're like, Oh, because of X, Y, Z. And then it's like, you wouldn't go like deep into, um, a super poor neighborhood in the U S because you know you're not if you don't belong there they're more like if you wouldn't go to a place in your home country that like you know is not supposed to be safe or you're just not supposed to be there and and you speak the language and you know that's bad why would you like why why would you do it somewhere else you know and yeah i said yeah i said about columbia because like in um in uh, bogota the capital there is a neighborhood that you just should not go into where the police don't even go into it because it's mainly run by the um uh by the narcos and by a lot of local gangs so if you are so if just don't go to that neighborhood the rest of the city is a normal city like every other place on the planet where it's just a normal place where people are just they live and they work and they have families and they go to school and they do you know whatever they like to do for recreation and they go party and like all these little tiny things um it's no different. Now, obviously, if you go to a country that has conflicts going on, different story. But like when I went there, there was no conflict. It was fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um. So were you? So I guess you were able to talk to the na- or to the locals. Um, did they tell you what they thought of America from the outside or? Yeah. So, um, they were actually just like super, super curious to be like, Hmm, like, cause like, I, cause, and like, this is also the other thing I want to like, let people know is it's like, okay, think about just using our example here. Think about Colombia, right? What do you know about Colombia? Well, you know that, that, you know, it's supposed to be drug filled it's supposed to be dangerous, supposed to be, you know, poor and this, that, whatever. Well, okay, now think about from the Colombian perspective, what do they know about Americans? That stereotypes, that, you know, we're loud, we're rich, we're fat, we're dumb, you know, whatever the stereotypes are, I'm not saying they're correct. And so when they met me and they're just like, oh, like, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm from the US, I'm from Colorado. And they're like, oh, well, like, what, what, like, what made you come to Colombia? I'm like, oh, I, like, like I, I think your country is like really beautiful. I think it's really cool. I, I wanted to come see it. I've, you know, I've heard stories about it and I, I wanted to see it for myself. 
And they're just like, oh, and then they, you know, they'd ask me about America. That's like, okay, like how are, like, how are things really? Because what they know about America is what most Americans know about Colombia. They see what they see in the news. They see what they see in movies and media and this, that, whatever. So it doesn't really like paint a very accurate picture. And so most of them were always just like really curious. Like I had a couple of guys that were like, oh, like, oh, I don't like Americans. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I think we could be like, you know, I'm, you know, I'd, you know, lie a little, little you know, a little white lies. I'm like, yeah, no, we're really not that great. Like, here's why I don't really think we're that great. And then they'd be like, oh, wait, you guys aren't like, not all of you guys are that arrogant. I'm like, yeah, man, it's just a stereotype. Like people are just people no matter where you're from. And then, yeah, like people would be like, oh, huh, maybe I was wrong. Or like, maybe that stereotype doesn't really make any sense. Or that's just really interesting. Like I want, like, I want to know more. Yeah, like, um, I remember, like, when I started talking to people overseas. I mean, you know, I've talked to people, you know, I've been to college a lot. and So you meet international students, and you meet, you know, I live in a major city, so you meet people from other countries that you might have as friends or talk to or whatever, right? Right. But having these conversations with folks in their own country, and having, I think by like the third person, the third, I guess, person in another country say to me, well, you seem pretty smart, even though you're an American. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I was like, actually, yeah, like one of my buddies is like from India. And I was like, hey, uh, what's the deal with why do people think that about Americans? Like, why do people think we're stupid? <laughs> Yeah, you know, we put a man. We put a man on the moon. Like, what? yeah, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. And yeah, well, yeah, well, and it's like I mean, like I've seen, you know, like I mean, like I've been exposed to like a lot of like you know foreign media and foreign movies and TV shows, and like yeah, like that's a joke that they make about Americans. It's so that, and so it's like if you keep getting told this joke and joke and joke and you know just the same thing parroted over and over again, eventually you're just gonna think, oh, that's just what all Americans are like, or you know, where, or where it's like, um, where it's like for whatever reason in, in us media, we like, if we need someone that's like smart, but foreign, we'll use a British person. And it's like, no, Britain's just Britain. They have a fair share of dumb people as well. But it's like, that's what we think is right. Cause like, that's just what we're shown over and over and over again. So I guess that was like a really big thing too, about, um, why I left in the first place was cause it's like, I know I wanted to see the world's and I knew that what I was being told wasn't the total truth. And so I, yeah. I, I, li- I like primary sources and I wanted to like, no, I don't like, I don't believe you guys. Like I want, I, I, I need to go see this myself. Like I need I want, to I'll, get, go ahead. Yeah. I want to see what's really going on for myself. Yeah. 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 And another time I would have told you to check out in another day and time. I would have told you to check out being a reporter. Yes. <laughs> you seem like being an investigator. But, yeah, t- you know, definitely. Um, yeah. Maybe another day or time. Although, I mean, like, so, yeah. So when you, when you, uh, when you first pitch yourself to me, you pitched yourself as a bartender. Yeah. And that's, um, so, it's kind of, it's kind of how I got around the world. So, what was it like being a bartender around the planet? Like, what was that like? Being a bartender around the world was interesting to say the least. Um, 
I mainly did it in places where I spoke the local language. Um, in Asia, I was making so much money as an English teacher that like I was able to take like three months off of just and just not work at all, um, and just like travel around Vietnam, go to Thailand, go to uh, Cambodia, you know. Um, but the places that I did speak lo- local language, um, I would just you know walk into any bar that I. Uh, like any bar that like, I'd either already been to or like kind of like knew someone who worked there or some somewhere or another. And I would just ask them like, Hey, like, you know, like, Hey, can I talk to the manager or just like, don't jefe or, you know, whatever. Um, and then, yeah, I'm like, Hey, I'm a bartender. I can like, just like, you know, give me a shot. And then most of them were like, like, sure. We're, like you don't have a work permit. And I'm like, what do you think? And they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, it's kind of interesting because I've definitely had to dip from like, you know, hide or, or, or go out the back door from immigration a couple of times, but so it goes. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it was just like, I guess it was interesting because some places they're like, yeah, we can't pay you, but like you can work for whatever tips you can make. I'm like, okay. And then some places like, um, in australia like i would yeah in some places i wouldn't even get tipped at all and i was like hey you make 25 dollars an hour that's it and it was really it was a lot nicer because it's like you don't have like one thing i noticed when i came back was it's like going back into restaurants i was kind of thrown because i was used to just kind of like not having to be like that nice to people because it's like they're like you don't work for tips and they don't expect you to be nice and maybe for and maybe like if you get along with them or like you make you tell a good joke or whatever they'll give you like a buck or two just for you know shits and giggles but they wouldn't but like it, it wasn't expected for you to be nice and people didn't expect you to be nice either and like it, it was just a very very different experience just like a different way of working a job i had worked for so long huh Huh. The thing that's interesting to me is talking to you is I've heard for years and years that the minimum wage in Australia is $25, blah, blah, blah. But I've never really, I mean, but when you told me about the 20 something dollar six pack of beer, right? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay. When you factor in, I guess, rent and food, maybe $25 doesn't stack up like it does over here no not no and like equivalent because i think you get right now you get like a buck 25 australian for every u.s dollar um and so it's like you can get paid 25 bucks an hour i mean it's it's definitely still a lot higher than here it's like what i think it's like 50 it's it's like 15 or 16 dollars but it goes quick a week when you realize, oh wait, my transportation costs, even just like getting like a weekly bus pass or train pass or whatever is $45 or going out for a meal can be like 80 to a hundred dollars for just like a standard, like three course meal with a couple of drinks. Or, um, you have to pay rent once a week and your rent is $200 a week. And you're staying in like a shared house with like five other people or you're, you know, or if you get your own apartment where it's like almost $600 a week, not like not per, not per month, a week. And so it's like you, you make a lot more money, you make a lot more quickly, but you also spend it a lot faster. Like it, it doesn't take time at all where I think I remember for uh, this one girl's birthday that I, that I lived with, she, she was going out and, uh, and yeah, we're all going out that night. I think. After everything was said and done, I think we spent each almost $300 for the evening. 
Mm. And I mean, like, yeah, great. I mean, yeah, I was making twelve hundred dollars a where, week, but who cares? Where were you? Where were you going? Uh, we did like a. Please. Oh, okay. Yeah, granted, we definitely. I mean, it was her birthday. We went pretty heavy. Um, but they also just. Uh, we went to just you know like like neighborhood bars and like one club towards the end of the night. But like the club didn't have a cover charge because yeah. I think it was like a Wednesday night and there was like next to nobody there, just us. Um, but yeah, like it was just like a you know locals mm. and and I think a really yeah. big yeah I think a really big thing that people need like should remember too is that it's like a drink down there can cost you like twenty three dollars for like one cocktail or like a pint of beer is like eighteen bucks or where it's like oh hey the beer's only fourteen dollars here like it's a great deal. So it's like, yeah, it does sound great. And there are, there are less people living like so far onto the edge that like live in the U S but I think it, it would be remiss of people to not also realize, Oh wait, you also have a higher cost of living. I'm not saying that those two are um, like that. Those go hand in hand or that there's a correlation there, but I am saying is that something very important to note that it's like, all right, as your cost of living goes up and your own wage goes up, you just, you, you just go full circle pretty much. Again, well, just, I mean, yeah. One of the things with Australia that you have to remember is that, I mean, high wage aside, you know, one way or the other, they're importing basically everything, pretty much, right? Yeah, and they're importing it for the most from part across the planet. Yeah, I mean, one one way or the other, they're importing it yeah. from either from China or from the U.S. over here or Europe yeah. or wherever. I mean, it's not, you know. They're a desert country, so what are you going to, I mean... I mean, like, they do have some farms out there. They mainly grow, um, they mainly raise cattle, though. That's, like, their main exports. Like, I mean, like, beef was cheap. Sheep, sheep, sheep were, I, I have never seen a cheaper, like, like, uh, like, lamb shank in my life. Where it's, like, the cheapest thing you could get at most restaurants was lamb shank. All right, all right. Fair enough. But I mean, like, that makes sense. yeah, the one thing that did kind of bother me though, was that it's like, yeah. it doesn't like this is also for like New Zealand really does have to import a lot of stuff because like, they can grow a lot there, but like there's only so much land and a lot of it. And this just bothered me so much. When I, when I first got to New Zealand, I live in a town called Hastings, which is a very meth filled farm town. If you ever go to New Zealand, do not bother. There is nothing there. It is just farms and meth and workers like that's all that really it's it's like kansas but but, but you just said you like new zealand i i love new zealand i did not like hastings oh. new zealand on a so whole note is amazing yeah so new zealand is a is a hit but hastings new zealand is a miss oh yeah okay yeah um also rather small world too because when my last night in hastings i had gone out uh with you know like my friends because like we all we, we all worked so like the way that it works for most backpackers when you get to like hate a place like hastings is you'll go find like a working hostel where it's like the owner of the hostel will have an agreement with like the farms um and so it's like you'll pay like a hundred bucks like a week which is unbelievably cheap in new zealand um to live at this hostel and then they usually and they usually just take it out of your paycheck and then you'll go work for whatever farm needs work right um my last night there i had gone out with like all of my friends who like that we all live together and work together and um i met a girl from colorado that even stranger me and a bunch of my friends in high school crashed her little her little brother's party and then they threw bottles at us so we got so we got into a fight what what was she doing in Colorado? I'm kind of curious. 
Wait, um, well, I mean, she was from Colorado. Do you mean what she was doing in New Zealand? I mean, yeah, New Zealand. What was she doing? Ah, <laughs> uh, it's all good. Um, that's a good question. Did not get that far because I'm like, hey, you look kind of familiar, and she was like, you don't look familiar at all. I'm like, do you have a? They've got any siblings? And then, and then she's like, yeah, and I'm like. Do they go to um, a high school in Colorado? I'm not going to say which one. Um, and she was like, yes. What year did you graduate? I'm like, 2017. She's like, same with my brother. I'm like, let me see a picture. And I'm like, oh. And she's like, what? I'm like, may I punch your brother right in the face? And she's like, well, then you can go. You, you know, you can go F yourself. And I'm just like, mm, okay. Uh, yeah. And then she yeah, and then she looked she looked ready to punch me. So that's a pointless story. But it, that's, anyway, Um uh yeah it's just hastings is just not you just don't really need to go there it's just it's 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 just like a farm town you know there's just not a lot there not a lot to do and you go there to work if you're like a backpacker because you usually get there with no money huh huh so okay so what i guess like um what so you went to Germany, right? Yeah, not for like a ton of time. Um, I had mainly gone there like after all my traveling was done and um, I still had a little bit of money left over. Uh, and so I went out there to go see some friends and also because uh, I thought I was uh, I, I was looking into going to school there because even for Americans, it's completely free tuition depending on which uh, college you go to out there. And so I was like, ah, you know, like, it's a good excuse to see my friends. I want to go out and go check out the country, go talk to some of these colleges. Just kind of see, like, is there something I really like? Because, like, it's not easy to do it. It's pretty hard. But, like, I was like, okay, like, do I really want to do this? Um, and so I went out there. I looked at the University of Hamburg. I looked at the uh, the Free University of Berlin. Um, and it just – it's a wonderful place. Berlin is amazing. It's super fun. I couldn't live there, though. And that's kind of was like, eh. Not for me. Why couldn't you live there? Um, because they don't have sun for eight months of the year. Oh, that was like one of like that was one of the biggest things. I was like, oh god, no! Like, wait, because like I remember talking to my friends um, who live there. I'm just like, hey, it's kind of it's been cloudy for like the past like couple of days. Like, is it gonna break? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, when is the sun gonna come out? And he's like, oh, not till June. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Like it's October now. What do you mean it won't break till June? And he's like, "Yeah, the only, you only get like like summer, like summers when it, the sun comes out." I'm like, "Nope, that's a big, that's a big, a hard no for me." Um, and then also like when I went to, I would have to do like a year and a half of community college first to even be allowed to go to a German university because I hadn't gone to college. Yeah, um, yeah. I didn't like. I mean, I speak like a like just a lick of German where I, I can kind of understand what people are saying to a point and I can kind of ask people questions. Uh, it's better than my Vietnamese, but not anywhere close to the level of my Spanish. But, um, <laughs> I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't ready. Lord. Like my, my German wasn't good enough. I am like, it's free, but to get your student visa, you need to deposit 10,000 euro, which is like almost 12,000 us dollars into a bank account that, that, uh, that the German government locks. So it's like, you will deposit, 12, let's just say, for example, you deposit exactly $12,000 into the German bank account. The government will lock it. So then you can't send money out of the country anymore. Like you can deposit, I mean, you can withdraw up to $1,000 a month for like your living expenses while you're a student. But like a common trick that I've heard from a lot of different people is that it's like, oh, like you need to show proof of funds. Okay. And then they go like the rich friend or aunt or mom or whatever. 
and they have them like, okay, well, you send me $12,000. I'm going to keep it for like a month or so just so I wait for my visa to get cleared. And then once I, once I get approved for my visa and I'm in country, I'm just going to send it right back to you. Right. So like it's, it's an easy way to like get around these like really, really big monetary stipulations. Uh, Germany doesn't allow, allow you to do that. So I was like, well, that's about the same price as a year of school here. And it wasn't like, and like, I wasn't loving the culture. I wasn't like, I was struggling with the language. I hate the fact there was no sun. Um, and so I was like, it's a cool place. I'll happily go back. I, Germany's amazing to visit, but I wouldn't want to live here. I need the sun, yeah, man. Okay. You need the sun. Um, yeah. So let's radically shift gears <laughs> and talk about your podcast. Alrighty. Um, yes. So my podcast is called a modern proposal. It is based off a 240 year essay by Jonathan Swift called a modest proposal, which was written during the height of the Irish potato famine when everyone was dying from famine. And so Swift proposed, uh, that you can't sell your children anymore. There's no food left. All like all children's, uh, sorry, all child's above the age of six will just turn to crime and just start stealing things. So we should just eat all the babies. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember from high school. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not the I'm like, like most people I know have read this essay, at least in some form or another, for some reason or another. So I'm like, Hmm. But like that essay, because like I remember, I think it just popped up on like one of my feeds recently, like not super recent, like a couple of months ago when I was like kind of you know laying the groundwork to get this podcast up and running. Of like, like it's really got me thinking. Like I reread it, got me thinking. What's the modern day equivalent of this essay, right? Because it's like we have a lot of problems, not quite on the level of Jonathan Swift's. Like, oh, ev- there's no food left. Everyone is dying around me. Um, but like we still have problems like that are very, very serious and very existential, whether that be uh, the finning of sharks in our oceans to the kill- to the to the the kids in cages and deporting immigrants on the border, to wealth inequality, to Citizens United like owning like allowing corporations to basically like vote for whoever they want to put in charge based on political donations and so forth and so forth. And so once a week, I take this insane concept or like this really, like this really, really big problem. And I really do a deep dive into it. So like, I'll talk about the current stats. I'll talk about the history behind it. I'll talk about people who like people who are responsible for it. I'll talk about solutions that don't work. And then to a guest that comes in super cold, I provide a very satirical solution. That's just absolutely insane. Not necessarily like eating babies level. Some of them are, some of them aren't, you know, you know, you got to mix it up a little bit, but that's like, that's like the bit that I try to do because I, I find that a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down easiest. And if you're talking about like this really horrific thing, such as like the way that the U S adoption system works and how horrifying it is, you need a little bit of comedy. You need a little bit of like, we could be doing more than we're doing. So if I can just like, if I come up with like this really, really satirically insane solution that no way, like would no would work if you didn't have morals, but shouldn't, you should never do. Hopefully I'll get people to be like, oh, maybe we should talk about this more. Or, oh, this is actually like a problem. And I think like the, to, to circle back to like 
kind of stereotypes and what we were talking about earlier about like what people think of other countries, right? Like that's all stereotypes. That's a good, and that's a little bit of propaganda. And it's like, I don't want people to like to think that, Oh, well this is just a problem, but it's not like that serious, you know? What? Okay. So I don't know what the adoption problem is. Um, but I have wanted to have people on my podcast who have adopted and pretty much if they've ever gotten back to me, they've all pretty much said, I don't want to talk to you about that. Yeah. Um, so well, what's the problem? Why is it a problem? So one, it is unbelievably hard to adopt a child, especially if you're a person of color, especially if you're in a homosexual relationship or married to same gender. Um, foster care is horrifying because it's rife with abuse. A lot of kids die in foster care. We don't really like to talk about that. And the origins of, um, obviously I'll, I'm doing, I'll be doing an entire hour long episode about this in the coming weeks. So I'm not going to get into too much detail, but in short, the, the U S system of adoption comes from a woman named Georgia Tan who was just stealing children off the street or from single mothers in hospitals. Yeah. Rick Flair was one of them. I, I remember this too. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah. 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 Um, yeah and yeah, which like, is crazy because Rick Flair is a, or was Rick Flair's dead now, I think. Yeah. Well, RIP to Rick Flair, but, uh, yeah, but he was like super famous. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And the only reason anybody knows about any of this practically is because Ric Flair, you know, was out front with it. Yeah. After he was fam I mean, well after he became famous. Um Jesus. So what's something else that you think? Um okay. How about we do this? How about I'll tell you something that I've told my guests before or that I've told my podcast before. And then you see what you think about this, or maybe you think there's another big problem. Okay. Right? Ready? I think one of the biggest problems we have in this country, right, is that we don't have, like, our – the economy that we're creating out of this pandemic is, is something that is going to be heavily digital, is something that's going to be heavily – uh, computer driven and heavily like you have to know computer languages and Google SEO and all like that. And our, our school systems don't teach that. Right. Yeah. You're not preparing children for the real, I hate to say like the real world, but the world of work that they are actually going to enter into. Yeah. And I, I really think that's a serious problem. And I completely agree. Like, cause like my, yeah. um, one of my sisters is a teacher and, um, one of the textbooks that she got recently and she teaches, uh, in the inner city and she, her, and her, uh, her school is, this is its own problem, but it's just a reference. So she teaches at a school that mostly has immigrants and refugees. Uh, so like they don't really speak English very well and they're super underfunded. So they, and how much funding that they get in her school district is based upon test scores. And so if you're a kid who does not speak English as your first language and 
they're all speaking and cannot read English very well, you're not going to do very well on your test score, so therefore they're not going to get a lot of money. And this is a preface to explain why one of the textbooks that my sister got for her history class still had the Soviet Union in it as a country. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think that we're preparing kids at all for, for what the- a digital economy is going to look like. I mean, like, we're oh, not even preparing yeah. our workers now. Exactly. Or, okay, here's another problem, right? Yeah. Um, so I've studied American demographics for just about as long as you've been alive. Um, the thing that you notice is that we are two different countries. Oh, like yeah, absolutely. Anybody, anybody who deals with the demographics in this country in a serious way would notice, would, would tell just anybody we are two different countries and if we want to get people out of this idea of living in these overpriced cities that you're, you're paying too much money to a landlord, blah, 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 you know, you're going to have to get high speed internet out into the rural areas. Yeah. Like you're just going to have to do that. Yeah. And, um, what I think is really interesting is that it's like some of the fast internet now is either through fiber, which wouldn't be the hardest thing to the, in the world to do because we've laid fiber optic cables on the seafloor, which I think is kind of funny because every so often a shark will just bite it and then like ruin it. I think that's just really funny. Um, that the internet goes down sometime from shark bites, but whatever. Um, and the other option, what's up in, in your podcast about sharks. I remember, and this was years ago, I remember there was a great white shark or maybe a couple or something that had bitten the wrong cable. And so all of Europe's internet was down for a period of time. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a period, I don't know how long it was, but essentially Europe's internet was down for like a while. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how long, but a while. Yeah. I mean... mean it's just sometimes it's just the way it goes because yeah yeah because i mean yeah i think uh there's a reason i did did shark finning first instead of some of the other podcasts i got planned coming up because it's uh it's still very very messed up still very very dark but it's like a softer darkness it's like a charcoal you know it's not it's not quite black yet it's a charcoal charcoal um so what are the problems you see in in the country um oh boy so i do see a lot of problems but this is definitely something that like and, and like my friends are like well you talk about this about that i'm like well is there like is there a way to fix that that's funny and satirical they're like not really i'm like cool then it doesn't really work for my show because like there's a there's a zillion podcasts talking like well you know this is the problem in our society today da, 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 da. but unless i can be like okay well there's a satirical solution that like my goal is just to make fun of everything um not to make fun of everything but like you hopefully you know what i'm saying um it's just not really gonna work yeah you want to you want to you want to have a little humor to to be able to like bore at you want to have it like bore at yeah yeah which i mean (laughs) um yeah so the yeah so like these are some of the problems that i have that i think are a problem and some also may contact with some episodes um you know i mean like it takes me about a week to 10 days to write one episode one because a lot of them are like three to 
three to 4,000 word long um, essays that I write. I also do about a week of research and it just, it's, it's a lot of stuff to read and sift through and be like, okay, is this relevant? How, like, okay, how incredible is this source? What's this? What's that? What's that? Um, uh, obviously shark finning is a huge problem. Uh, the way that we handle what is shark finning. You, you keep yeah. saying, that. okay. I don't, so I don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, so shark finning, um, which again, I go into way more detail in my, sh- in my show, but in essence, it's when a fisherman will catch a shark, cut off all of its fins while it's still alive, and then and then toss it back overboard, and then go sell those fins for a tasteless, nutritionless, disgusting-looking soup called shark fin and soup that they that they actually sell all over the world. Okay, wait, I remember this now. Yeah. All right, I have a question. <laughs> yeah. Because I've actually eaten shark fin soup. All right. Um. What? Okay. I'm not a sick person. I'm not. I'm not yeah. depraved. I'm not crazy. Yeah. Why do I like shark fin soup? What? What? Okay. Why can I taste it? What am I tasting when I taste shark fin soup? So there's a lot of different ways to make it, and I actually, um, actually, I found a recipe from the New York Institute of Fine Dining from 1917 that I included, which most recipes are based off today, at least in the U.S. Um, one, a lot of. Real quick, how much how much did that bowl of shark fin soup cost you? I don't remember because it's been it's it was uh, years ago the last time I ever had it. Okay, um, but, three, it, it yeah. was, but I remember I literally remember this. I literally remember listening to your podcast and you're talking about a small bowl of shark fin soup. Mm-hmm. I'm like that bowl was not small. Mm. yeah <laughs> not small yeah so then uh in that case it's probably so they have a, a gelatin substitute that's usually made from uh cow and uh pig cartilage that they that, that they can uh like make like a it's like the it's like the tofu of like shark fin um and that's that's more common in the u.s but over in asia it's actual shark fins um the reason that you probably thought it might have tasted good was because they use uh a good amount of not every recipe, but they use a decent amount of seasonings. They use stock, they use eggs, they use ham, they use cooking sherry or vinegar. Like they have a lot of other uh, flavors in the actual soup because cartilage doesn't really taste like anything. Like if you just made like a plain gelatin, which is also made from cartilage, it wouldn't taste like anything. Not much. Like you might taste like a little bit of like boniness to it or like have like the texture of gelatin but it doesn't have a lot of flavor to it. And most shark fin soup that you can buy in the U S is made from a gelatin substitute, especially if it costs less than $20. However, you can still buy actual shark fin in the U S. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can buy shark fin. I mean, not at the local. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if we have the same grocery stores, but not. Okay. You, if you I guys have Publix, the, right? We have Publix and we have Kroger. Are yeah. two mainline, or I guess three, because we have Walmart, Sam's Club, Walmart, Publix, Kroger. We have something called Sprouts. I don't know if you yeah. have Sprouts. Oh yeah, no, yeah, we got Sprouts out here, um, and then yeah, and I mean like we have Kroger too. We just call it King Supers. It's the same shit though. Yeah. Uh, so if I were to go to my local farmers market, not my, you know, I have a heavy Asian community where I live. Yeah. So. I've seen shark fin like on not cheaply on sale, but available to purchase. Yeah. I've actually been to farmer's markets and seen it where I can buy that. 
but being is that I don't know how to cook it, I, you know, why buy something you don't know how to cook? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense. Um, well, you know. I mean, a big reason why is for a huge reason why, besides all of the ethical, hum- like the ethical problems behind it, because um, a big way that sharks breathe is most of them breathe by moving. And so if they don't have water constantly going over oh. their gills and you cut off all their fins, it's like cutting a, a human's diaphragm out and then leaving them in the woods. So why not just kill? I mean, why not just kill the shark? Um, take the fins. Because it's faster. Simple as that. It's faster and costs less money to kill the entire shark than just to fin it and then just toss it back. Because it's like sharks are I'm not saying that they're they're definitely they're harder to kill than most fish because like most fish you can like you know you can you can grab a pocket knife and then and, and then just cut right behind then just cut right behind its uh right behind its skull this over their uh spinal cord. You can't really do that with a shark because it's a shark and it's a massive animal and they're it's pretty it's just it's a lot it's a lot harder you gotta get near their head um it's just like more dangerous and it's just it's just not as profitable too to take the entire shark because you can get a lot more you can get a you can stack a bunch of shark fins in a boat alongside your normal catch than a bunch of shark bodies because shark meat is not only chock full of mercury it's also super heavy. It's not worth very much. It doesn't taste very good, but the shark fins are worth a ton, way next to nothing, don't require refrigeration, but still the same levels of mercury, if not higher than the meat itself. So, you know, it's like, that's, that's why they don't kill it. It's faster. It's, you know, safer for the shark finner. Not that I have any, you know, like I don't, if you listen to my, yeah, if you listen to my solution, I think you'll, <laughs> I think you're not really worried about my personal concern for the safety. So, so, so the, you're going to throw the shark finners under the bus is what you're saying. Absolutely. You're no different from a poacher. Like it's just, you're the poacher of the sea. Well, I got to say, honestly, I was kind of amazed that, that, oh wait, sharks are tasteless because wow. No. Oh yeah. God. Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like, sure. yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like, the meat tastes like something because it's meat and it has fat in it, but like, and it's a fish. But the fins itself don't taste like anything. And like, and if anybody's ever curious what a shark fin tastes like, go buy a whole fish, um, cut off one of their fins, boil it for three hours, and eat it. That's pretty much what it tastes like. Now, I've never eaten it, so I can't speak from personal experience, but just based off the fact that I've worked in restaurants for the vast majority, like the majority of my life, not that I'm very old, but like, you know, the majority of my life, and that I just know, like, it's made, it's all made of the same stuff. It's all just cartilage. So, yeah, go find, go find a big fish and cut off a fin and boil it for three hours. Boom. Yeah, that's what, that's what shark fin tastes like. Yeah. That's a challenge to all your listeners. Yeah. Parker, uh, yeah. you were just, uh, this is, a, uh, you were a great guest and I'm glad you Thank were able you. to do this again. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad because previously, like you were talking about in, in the other, in our other podcast, like you were talking about other stuff, but then you got around to talking about how many countries you lived in. I was like, oh my God, I want to talk about that. <laughs> so thank you for coming back on. Yeah, of course. Thanks uh, for having me, man. No, no. Uh, no, the pleasure was all mine. Uh, and um, is there anything you want to say to the internet? 
Yes. Uh, Internet One, I want to give a big shout out to the liquid dinosaurs that make the internet possible that are turned to oil. Uh, two, I want to just plug all my stuff. Um, you can uh, you can find my me at Parker J. Wrights on Twitter. You can find my, my podcast Twitter at A Modern Proposal. And you can find the actual podcast wherever 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 you find your podcast casted. Um, they come out every Monday. I'll do two parters. Sometimes I'll come out on Monday and Wednesday. Um, go go listen to it. Um, go be sad and go think about other things that you could do to how to help help the world. That was Parker James. He has a very interesting podcast, but. As I've said before, the main reason I wanted to talk to him was because he'd been to so many countries and I just couldn't pass up the opportunity to talk about that. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to the History Voyager and I'm sorry I took a little longer to put this episode out there, but I've got some really cool things lined up for you. All right, take care everybody. As always, I'm having a great day and I hope you are too. Bye-bye.